And the subtitle says, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. I want you to know something, that uh, at this very moment, the very underpinnings of Western civilization are being eroded by a variety of ideas and thoughts. I have a book on my show called The Tyranny of Guilt. And so many good things are supposed to be seen through a lens that makes them wrong at this very moment. I will say this before I start the message this morning, that a free uh, society without a collective conscience through an active, powerful church, which is nerved by the Word of God, cannot exist. And so we see the coming implosion of our American Republican democracy. But if you want to have a little confidence that you're not on the wrong journey, as you've leveraged the stewardship of all that Western society, rational thought, and hope has brought you, I highly encourage this, the book that made your world. Let's pray. Lord, we are here before you, seeking that blessing, asking now, Lord, that we would find the direct link that would bring beauty, strength, and blessing not only to us, but all those that intersect our paths. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've entitled my message this morning, In the Beginning and the New Beginning. And I want to talk with you about the privilege of this little book in your hands. I was almost 10 years old when my grandmother placed this book in my hands. The very first Bible I would ever own. It was given to me on February 16, 1974. It's her handwriting. And uh, this book became instrumental. This is the single greatest seminary preparation that I have ever had. And while I appreciate my undergraduate and graduate training and the postgraduate work that I'm involved in right now, I want to assure you the absolute bedrock foundation of my ministerial life and my Christian life was laid when as a very young person in my teenage years, because when I was 10 years old, I wasn't going to church, I wasn't in Pathfinders, I didn't go to Sabbath school, I had no interest in the Bible. I watched cartoons on Saturday morning, every morning when I got up and I played basketball and baseball and all the other things the kids my age did who were basically human secularists. But this book was placed in my hands by my grandmother. And you know what else she did? She started praying that I would read it. The amazing thing was my mother was an answer to her prayer by placing me in the church school. Somehow I was challenged to read it. And as a early teen, I read the entire book from beginning to end. And I was sitting in my youth class answering questions that all of my fellow youth compatriots couldn't answer. They were raised in the church, but they weren't raised reading their Bible. And because I had simply read the book from cover to cover, and my mind was young, and it latched on to the things that I needed it to latch on to, I knew things, and I knew principles. Most of all, I had come to hear the voice of the living God. Now, this is not what I would consider an ideal version of the Bible to read in some respects. It's the old 1611 King James authorized version, which as I get ready to start my new round of Bible reading, that's the Bible I'm going to read from. The book I have here before you is 10 years old, very well worn out. It's been repaired by me a couple times. I took three years to read this. This is the New American Standard Bible. Very slow, especially when I got into the minor prophets and places like that, because I wanted to understand I wasn't reading just to check off. I wanted to understand. But you know, as a boy reading this very tiny little print, a book with almost no pictures, I was hungry. And as I read, I was blessed. 
Now, interestingly enough, I wrote in the front of my Bible three little facts. The first was there are 773,692 words in the Bible. Well, that's three quarters of a million words. I read them all. They've been life transformational. I don't regret a minute of them. I'm trying to experience what Joshua was told, that if you don't turn to the left or the right, nobody will be able to stand against you. You'll prosper in everything you'll do. Or Psalm 1, not to stand or sit or walk with the sinners and the wicked and the scoffers, and that everything you do will prosper. Mind you, I've had some moments where it didn't look like I was prospering. But you know what? You can do nothing against God's people when God can make all things work together for his people. And this is the experience I've been on. Married almost 40 years, letting the Lord make choices for me. But you know, there was one little detail I didn't remember that I had written here. The middle verse in the Bible is verse 1, Psalm 118, verse 8. Let's look that up. Can we do that? Psalm 118, verse 8. Now, there are a few interesting pictures in my Bible. Not too many pictures. And wouldn't you know it, they placed a picture right at the middle of the Bible. Now, I know this is purposeful. <laughs> and it's the verse and the picture that go together. Psalm 118, verse 8, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's prints pretty little. And right next to that, at the very bottom of the page, that verse is, is this wonderful picture of a teenager boy who just let the rock fly out of his sling. And you know, they placed that picture and that statement there because David had just walked out of the tent of Saul with all this armor on that wasn't his. But he had come to know the living God on the hillsides of Bethlehem. And he was prepared to do what God told him to do. The Bible nerved him, encouraged him, and he rejoiced in the presence of the Lord. This Bible has the power to transform your life. Take your Bibles and turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. There's a promise here that we should not forget. Beautiful chapter on the gift of God and his willingness to receive his erring Israelite nation, written for us as well. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now I'm going to pause. We have the story of the ten virgins in the Bible. Five of them have oil. After a delay, five of them do not. They all slept. But I want to assure you something. The time to learn about God's word is now. The time to sharpen the sword is now. The time to hide it in your heart that we might not sin against him is now. The devil knows that. That's why there's a bazillion distractions for you. That's why there's 10 times more things than you have time to do that the world is inviting you to do. If there was a moment when you could benefit by your fellow man through free association and worship, the prayer meeting, the Vespers, the Sabbath school, the church service, all of those moments are now. Seek the Lord while he's near. Come to where you gain insight, not only through your personal private fellowship, but through the fellowship with the believers. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Verse 10, this is where I really want you to focus. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't return there without watering the earth. In other words, they do their job. And making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So just like the rain that makes it all work, so my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Friends, if ever there was a time to be praying the words of Scripture, now is the time. You've got problems? Pray the words of the Bible because when the words of the Bible go out, they do what they say they'll do. If there was ever a moment when you need to know something, in the beginning God said, let there be light. And all of the atoms and the molecules rallied around his verbiage to create a reality. In the beginning was the Word, John said, and the Word was made flesh. We see in the beginning a perfect plan corrupted by sin and selfishness. We see a new beginning in Jesus Christ. But he is the living word and he made everything and he can remake my heart, my mind, my life. He can give me strength for the circumstances I'm facing. The Bible is not like any other book. The devil wants to keep you from it. You need to remember that it was purchased, the freedom. You've got 40-some preachers who preach 60-some sermons, if you want to look at the books like that. Those are waiting for you to pick up. What I say here today was prayed for by our elder, Ron Knott, that I prayed before I began. We're believing it's a divine worship power and that God himself will prompt me and prompt you and guide us all through the principles and precepts of the word. But this word is categorically and unequivocally by its own definition, and I trust since you're here, you accept those definitions. This word has transformational power, which the devil does not want operating in your life. So he's trying to keep us from it. He's trying to make sure there's no revival. He's trying to make sure our swords are dull and we don't know how to say it is written, which is exactly what Jesus said to the devil. And if it was his method, it ought to be ours. As a matter of fact, there was the story told of a, a Roman priest who found an Irish peasant reading the Bible. And he began to berate him and suggest to him that he had no right or privilege to be doing that and that he was making a huge mistake. Well, the peasant had found much blessing in the reading of the Bible and he began to contend with the priest just a little bit and that the contents of the book and the holy doctrines had blessed him and the priest replied and he said the ignorant men would wrest these things to their own destruction but the peasant replied but sir I have a search warrant now the priest was angry and he said what is it he said Jesus said search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life and they testify of me you see, friends, the Bible is the instrumentality upon which God has brought great light to the world through the Reformation experience. And the Bible is directing us so that we might find our way to a safe landing across that Jordan way. Some people say the Ten Commandments are a little bit too confining and restraining. Jesus himself said the way is narrow. But I want you to think about something. Years ago, I didn't fly in a major jetliner until I was in my 30s. 
I didn't hardly ever fly at all. But I can remember the first time I came in for a landing on a Southwest Airlines flight into Midway Airport. I had been on a big airplane a few times, but you know, they kind of crammed that, that whole experience inside the city. And that plane descended more rapidly and twisted and turned and the throttle went up and the throttle went down and the legs, the feet, the wheels popped out the bottom. And you know, for me, it was very important when I turned to that African-American lady sitting in the seat next to me and I said, do you fly in here often? She said, yes. I said, is it always like this? She said, yes, I felt much better. But you know, some people think it's just a little too narrow to walk like the Word of God directs us. But let me ask you something. After flying 500 or 1,000 miles across the country, don't you want the airplane to land on that little narrow strip they call the runway? You know, aren't you hoping that it actually doesn't plow into the swamp, the ocean, or a row of houses? This is what we're after, friends. The devil knows it. So he's trying to complicate the guidance system by filling it up with things that don't matter so we don't know how to recognize the runway, we don't know how to chart the course, and we don't know where to land it. I'm here to tell you today, the Bible is your guidance system. I, had, I once had a dog that uh, didn't recognize me at night when I'd come home, and they'd bark, bark, bark. And of course, dogs, I still have dogs that do this. But you know, when I spoke up and I said, hey, Sandy, it was a little Shetland sheepdog, hey, Sandy, it's me. Instead of the ears up and the, the growling, snarling, barking voice, all of a sudden the tail started wagging. You want to learn to hear God's voice? The Bible says you'll hear a voice behind you saying, walk ye in it. Then you've got to know the voice as it's recorded because these are God-breathed words. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for edification. It's profitable for the rebuking and the building up of the saints. But if you don't read the Bible, then you can't know the voice. And an impersonator comes along. Now, I always like to watch a good impersonation. One of my sons is a pretty good impersonator. And you know, he can impersonate people. A really good impersonator, of course now through technology, they have the ability to make uh, movies that are completely fake, but they look totally real. All right, it's a, it's a deep fake, you might call it. But you know, the devil is going to try to impersonate Jesus. He is a student of the word. The Bible, the angels, James tells us that the, the, the devil knows the scriptures. The, the angels know these words. How about us? So the first question I want to ask today is, have you ever read the Bible through? Don't answer. Have you ever read the Bible through? Now, if you're in Pathfinders, praise the Lord for Pathfinders, there's a Bible reading plan. That's probably what got me started reading the Bible through as a teenager. Today, we handed one out to everybody. Why? What makes your life so important to where you're willing to say effectively, I'm going to get out of the cockpit for a while. I, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to let the plane run itself on autopilot. And when I need to land it, I'll pray. God will be there. He'll help me. Well, I feel sorry for you if you're an adult and you've got people depending upon you and they say, hmm, you've never landed an airplane before? You know, the truth of the matter is is that if you're too busy to read the Bible, you're in effect saying presumptuously God's going to have to save me through a different vehicle or a different medium. But the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. You want to grow your faith? Tough times are coming. Be in the Bible. So get yourself a Bible. This is the New American Standard Version. If you don't want to read out of one of the King James or New King James Version, this one is exceptionally accurate. Get yourself a Bible. Get one that has wide margins. 
Mark it up. This is a diary. This is a commentary. I, I go through the commentaries and I write notes in my Bible. I've got big decisions that I made written in my Bible. I can go back and see all the times God told me no. And I'm telling you, I'm praising the Lord he told me no. But I want you to know something. When you pray these words, God goes out and he works to create the realities that he believes must exist. I was telling you before that this, these Bibles come at the expense of people's blood. John Wycliffe was banished as Oxford Professor of Divinity, branded as an instrument of the devil. Just remember that, those of you that have taken some stands. He was branded as an instrument of the devil. He was an author of schism. He was a divider of the church. And what was his great crime? He translated the Bible into English. I want you to know there has always been turbulence around the recalibrating and the remaking of God's church. But he was to win world acclaim for his masterful translation of the scriptures into the English vernacular. That translation not only infused a new depth and beauty into the English language, but it imported to all who read it the good news of God's saving grace. Having been driven into virtual exile by the hypocritical alliance of church and state, he knew full well they would now unite to destroy his translation of the Bible. Therefore, with bold defiance of all their threats and evil imaginings, Wycliffe wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, this Bible is translated and shall make possible. Listen to these words, all of you historians. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, I doubt that Abraham Lincoln knew what Wycliffe had written in his Bible. But when he stood there at Gettysburg and he gave his short speech, he was echoing the sentiments. Western civilization linked with the conscience of God's word had amazing power. Now we've discoupled them. And we see all kinds of abuse and runaway trains, you might say. The Russian Dictionary defines the Bible as a collection of fantastic legends without scientific support. It is full of dark hints, historical mistakes, and contradictions. It serves as a factor for gaining power and subjugating unknown nations. Well, that may be true of some, but the other truth rests as much assured. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. It's important for us to understand its power came upon this poem. Reading piecemeal, hit or miss, now a bit of John or Matthew, next a snatch of Genesis. Certain chapters of Isaiah, certain Psalms, the 23rd, 12th of Romans, 1st of Proverbs. Yes, I thought I knew the word, but I found a thorough reading was a different thing to do, and the way was unfamiliar when I read the Bible through. Ye who treat the crown of writings as you treat no other book, just a paragraph disjointed, just a crude or impatient look. Try a worthier procedure. Try a broader and steadier view. You will kneel in very rapture when you read the Bible through. I think about Charles Spurgeon writing and affirming the place of the scriptures in the experience of humanity. He said, go to Christ with prayer for yourself. Go to God with repentance for yourself and see whether he does not pardon you and bless you and change you and make you a new creature. And when he's done that, believe me, you will never ever again doubt 
whether the Bible is true. For when it shall save you from your fears, rescue you from your sins, and brought you into life and liberty, you will be absolutely certain that it's true because you've tried it and tested it yourself. William Seward, Secretary of State, famous for the purchase of Alaska called Seward's Folly back in the 1870s said, I know not how long a Republican form of government can flourish among great people who have not the Bible. And William Gladstone said, I've known 95 great men of the world in my time. And of these, 87 were followers of the Bible. Is there a reason that the young people here have not been encouraged to read the Bible? The Bible? My Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of all, what? Wisdom. Why not read the Bible? You could listen to the Bible. It's not as good as reading, but you may not be a good reader. If you need help learning how to listen to the Bible, get a hold of somebody that's a little bit more technological. Get on your Audible account. Download a version of the Bible and listen. When I think about the new beginnings... I see Jesus creating the world. I see Jesus bringing humanity and heaven back together in his incarnation. And finally, I come down to the final recreation of the world. The thousand years are finished. During that thousand year period of time, earth has returned to its pre-creation state. I'm not sure the sun continues to shine for those thousand years. It appears that it's not. Some wonder if the world will be made larger than it is because some reckon the new Jerusalem is about the size of New Mexico or Arizona and some reckon it about the size of the United States. In my mind, the world's going to be made a whole lot bigger than it is right now. But I want to tell you something. The Bible says Jesus is going to make all things new. And I want to be there when he starts to speak the new world into existence. But if I'm going to be there, I need to let him speak the new existence into my world in my private life. Some of you are going to have to phase out of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or whatever else, TikTok, whatever else you're on. Some of you are going to have to place limits on your phone and say, you know what? I'm only using it for this. Some of you are going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to grieve through the process of losing a bad friend that you think is a good buddy. You're going to have to take a John the Baptist fast and say, I don't really like reading the Bible. And I'm going to tell you as a physician, I look out and see some of our doctors here this morning. You know, as a physician to the soul, I'm going to tell you, if you have no interest in learning about your creator, it's because your appetites are linked to something else that is warring directly against it. Now, some of you have fasted from food. That would be good occasionally for us to do that. Since the Pharisees fasted two days a week and so did the Methodist, it lengthens your life. We know a lot about fasting now, but I'm going to tell you the bigger fast we need right now, put your electronic devices down and unless it requires ink, lead, or highlighting fluid to mark it up, don't use it. Now, for those adults who have to do business, you go ahead and keep doing it. But if it's the Word of God that has the power to remake me, and I don't want the Word of God in my mind, and I have no interest, then I'm in a serious position, and I could fill a pew here every Sabbath and still be effectively lost. Sober. Sober. 
Now, I'll tell you, I have a very vested interest in this. Someday you won't have a preacher. You won't. They'll all be thrown in jail. Someday you won't have elders. They'll probably be there with them too. But you know what? Every little bit of this that you put in your heart and mind, nobody, nobody, nobody can take it from you. I think about those memory verses I learned as a kid in Pathfinders. I think about the challenge I got at the PMC Church as a student to memorize the book of James. One of my fellow theological classmates got there before I did. But about those three chapters that I memorized, I have always been a blessing. If someone brings up something out of the book of James, I know pretty much where it's at. I have never wasted a moment that I've spent with the Bible, but I've wasted a lot of other time on a lot of other things. At some moment in time, as we watch society implode, we're going to see the economic structure implode. We're going to have the promises of the Word. We're going to have the presence of the Word in our hearts. I want to leave you with this before we separate. Martin Luther had two great goals that he wanted to accomplish. He had two things that he indisputably did. He took the Bible and he put it in the German language and he gave his people a hymn book and he said, let them loose. The flame will spread on its own. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that even half of the membership of this church, and if you're watching online, I certainly invite you as well, that if even half of us read the Bible through this year, we would have a better and more vitally constituted army of Christ with sharper swords, more fruitful, fragrant, and free lives. Our children would be walking in the path of righteousness, not being picked off by the cesspools, which are the new fountains of supposed liberty and life. And I do anticipate there'll be a few battles along the way. But you know what? The Word of God is up to every single one of them. Shed blood brought me these books. Spurgeon would say there's enough dust on some of your Bibles to write the word damnation. It's time to dust them off and trace the word salvation. May God bless us. You pray. How long has it been? Have you ever read this book from cover to cover? Oh yeah, you'll get bogged down a little bit in the numbers, but you'll, describe, you'll learn some things. There'll be things there. I promise you, if you go slow, your heart will thrill with sacred history. Your mind will stretch with the dynamics of who God is. Your heart will sing with the sacred books of poetry. And prophecy will guide the way. Friends, this is the year. Everybody's leaving here with at least one plan. There's more on the table. We'll print more. They're on our website. You ask God, do you want me to read the Bible this year? Over the next three years?
Ask God. It comes to us at great price. We're going to celebrate the communion experience now. We practice the ordinance of foot washing before we partake of the emblems. We practice an open communion. Jeremiah said, I found the words of life and I ate them. This is a reference to what Jesus did when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, this is a reference to the partaking of Christ through his teachings into our lives. We celebrate the unleavened bread and the unfermented wine, but before we do that, we humble ourselves and wash each other's feet. The ladies meet in the fellowship hall, the family center, the men meet downstairs in the youth room. But all are invited to partake of the emblems. Uh, there'll be music here for meditation and reflection. And we'll gather, when we gather back here, get as close to each other as you can. I don't know if we can do every other pew or not. But where we can, go ahead and do it. It'll make it a little easier for the distribution of the emblems. And may God bless us. At the end of the service today, the deacons will be taking an offering for the poor fund. And may God bind our hearts up together as we anticipate a deeper walk with God in this new year. We'll separate now for the ordinance of foot washing.